follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad, here with Matt and Brad. Gentlemen, how are you this evening? Doing good. I'm doing well. Glad to hear it. And we're glad that you all could be here and join us tonight. Tonight we are going to be talking about a legend. Um, Wait, just for, just in memory. Uh, do I have my, this, given, given the way his voice sounds, this might be a good in memory too. (laughs) Right. So anyway, um, thank you all for joining us. We're going to be doing a legend retrospective tonight, but first we got some things to get out of the way. First thing we want to say is, uh, Got to give a shout out to our affiliate, Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand. They make quality, uh, quality wrestling apparel. And when I say wrestling apparel, I don't mean stuff for you to go wrestle in. I mean clothing for wrestling fans. So we're looking at hats, shirts, lots of shirts, lots of actually really well designed and cool design shirts. We're looking at jackets. We're looking at flannel. We're even looking at some of them. There's, I think there are even some shoes in there. But um, if you use the promo code Four Corners Podcast, that's the number four, capital C in corner, capital P in podcast with no spaces, then you can get 10% off your order. And um, just a reminder, we do have Patreon set up. We have it set up not because we're trying to milk a living out of you guys. Uh, just... If you like what we do and would like to pitch in a little bit, it would really just kind of help with our subscription stuff. Uh, that's Four Corners Podcast. I think that's right, isn't it, Brad? Yep. Okay. You know, I, then- I, I actually wish we could bilk the listeners for some money. I actually I just bought tickets for uh, AEW's first television show. Oh, cool. Which will, which will be happening uh, on October 2nd, I believe. And as, uh, and as Matt likes to say in our chats when we talk about the Patreon – that Coke isn't going to snort itself. That's right. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that means that um, we are going to have a correspondent on site. Listen, this is exciting. Who was on site for the first AEW pay-per-view and the first AEW TV show. That's true. And uh, I could have I could have used the listeners <laughs> to pay my... <laughs> I, I couldn't... So... Uh, I know we want to like finish like plugs and shoutouts. Is this shout-outs, where we, like this where we give the epic fu to Ticketmaster? Yeah, I have to like because I tried Friday for literally two and a half hours. That's not even a joke. Two and a half hours, and it wasn't like oh I couldn't get in to 
purchase tickets. Like I, I there was like a countdown clock. I was there. I immediately, and yeah. that was part of the whole big like screw up where it kept showing tickets, but it either would give me an error message or it would say that oh sorry someone else got those tickets. But apparently that's what happened for like millions of people, and it was a huge well not millions of people, but it, I'm, that's a gross exaggeration. But thousands of people tried to get tickets, and it was this huge mess. And after two and a half hours of this, I'm like, you know what? Screw it. So I just went on StubHub and I immediately bought tickets. But uh, I probably paid like more than they were worth, yeah. but that's fine. Uh, yeah. It depends on how much the fees would have been because uh, my wife bought tickets to something like mm-hmm. um, a couple weeks ago. And I think the ticket itself was $40 and the fees were like, I think, $30. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. It, we're no, I'm. This is actually like a big thing that pisses me off. Like we're not we're not back in the eighties or the nineties where you literally had shipping and handling costs to deal with. Mm-hmm. Everything's digital now. Like mm-hmm. they're literally gonna send you your ticket within seconds of you purchasing it. And you're not even gonna have to print anything. You just get to sh- you just gotta show it on your phone. Literally, I can just do that on my phone. And yeah. they always charge you like convenience fees and then some other fees and then it's like this is a this is actually gross. It's Okay, just just to put this out there. Now that now that printing fees aren't a thing, what in the shit is a convenience fee? What what actually is it? All it is is a way to build people out of extra money. That's it. There there that that's the only thing it is. Well, and the, what strikes me is they lost a lawsuit over their exorbitant fees, and they're mm-hmm. still doing it. So, like, what mm-hmm. was the point of the lawsuit? Why don't people just sue them again? Yeah, yeah well, I don't know. And, they're, and remember just that gross settlement, like those concerts that never actually existed that they gave you, like, coupons to, and then those $1 coupons that mean dick all that you couldn't even stack? Yeah. I had, like... I think I had 40 of those $1 coupons. I never used any of them because I think they had like some stupid like maybe 90 day to six month time limit and you couldn't stack them like, ooh, I'm going to spend the 60 seconds to figure out how to attach that to a a payment and save nothing. Yeah. It's not actually going to do anything. The... Oh, one other thing. I'm gonna. I'm sorry. I know I'm. I'm. I'm jumping back. But uh, collar and elbow stuff. They have some new shirts. They have a Waffle House inspired shirt that I absolutely love. It's a black shirt and it says collar, elbow, and it's spelled out in the Waffle House lettering. They got a new tie dye shirt. They got a new stars and stripes shirt. That sort of stuff. It's really. They have a dad hat. I have to get a dad hat. I'm a dad. I need the dad hat. Sorry about that. Uh- <laughs> I'm gonna go on collar and elbow right now and see. You know. Uh, I have I expressed my love on the podcast before for uh, Waffle House. No, I don't. No, think I feel like I have Waffle House. Oh, really? I really because who was I chastising really... that we know that was it was it was it um Terry that I was chastising that he'd never been to a Waffle House or was that Damien? Uh, I don't know, but whoever it is deserves to be chastised. I don't think I it was. Feel... I don't think it was Dan. I think it was. It Terry. better be. It better be. It's probably one of those guys that gives us a pity lesson. So I think it was Terry. Uh, <laughs> there was someone you know, that's like, "I've never been to a Waffle House." I'm like, "How have you never been to a Waffle House? I thought they were everywhere." Well, you know, no, you get so far south, and they aren't. They aren't around. My brother lives in Corpus Christi, Texas, and he has to make do with Denny's. Really, they're I not. It, thought they would be more of like a southern. Thing. Well, they yeah, but you, you get that close, you get that that far south, and you're crossing over into something that's other than southern. And when you start getting so, southwest, 
Well, I Corpus Christi isn't even really in the west. It's just way south. Yeah. So, anyway, what were you going to say, Matt? I would say that Damien doesn't have any excuse because Damien was at my wedding in lovely Charlottesville, Virginia. And uh, Charlottesville has a Waffle House. So he should have gone then. <laughs> uh, the beauty about Waffle House is that uh, you can get uh, everything comes with the side of hash browns. Yes, including probably the hash browns. Yeah. But... Do you do? Do you get them? Do you get them naked, or do you do like the smothered, covered, whatever? The... Smothered. No, no, no. I no. I'm kind of like a purist. I don't like. I don't like. I don't like, really like gravy or things like that on top of my food. So yeah, uh, I, I like them just plain too. But it's. Golly, I like Waffle House, man. It's, it's, it's really. There's nowhere that does a like a pecan waffle as good as they do. I would say unless it's homemade. If you can do a homemade one, that's different. But that's always the case. So I feel like you just showed your regional accent. Because uh, do you say pecan, pecan or pecan? pecan. You sound like you say pecan. I do say pecan. I feel like a growing up, my my family who was from Georgia, always pronounced it like pecan pie. Well, I mean, if if you if you want to make it sound like you urinate into a tin vessel, sure. But <laughs> damn, it, I just spit coke all over my laptop. Yes, yes, the on air spit take. I have, guys. I'm I'm sorry. I'm afraid I've peaked. Um, well, we can just cancel the show now. <laughs> All right, and Matt, you were gonna, yeah. Um, there's some good stuff over there, and Matt, you were, you were gonna enter, you were gonna give a shout out for somebody as well. I think uh, that would be to Epico Cologne. I don't know if Epico's ever been to a Waffle House. Uh, I think wrestlers like make a religion out of Waffle House. Actually, one of my favorite Mick Foley stories took place in a Waffle House that he told at his one man show. Story was that. The one where he's eating a Waffle House and this like guy sat down next to him and told him that he better take care of Vader. <laughs> like at like two in the morning or something, and he was just like really creeped out by it. I that have dude, not heard that story, but I want to. He told it at his that um, dude. If 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 no one's ever gone, I don't even know if he does it anymore. If his like comedy show comes to town, it's worth it. If you've read his book, nothing's that original, but he's a good storyteller, and it's um, yeah, it's a fun little evening. Funny story was, um, I went to that, and I just bought the tickets randomly, like as soon as they announced it, and they literally sat us like right next to the stage, like I was sitting like maybe a foot away from him for the entire time. Awesome, that's awesome. What? Well, uh, okay. Okay, the other thing I was going to say is if the Colognes have ever traveled with the New Day, I know they have gone to Waffle House because that's Big E's favorite restaurant. Watching, oh, there was an episode of Ride Along, watching, because Kofi wouldn't go into a Waffle House, so they pulled over so that Xavier and Big E would, and Big E's standing in the entryway with his to-go thing with the lid off, eating hash browns and staring at Kofi sitting in the car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh my somebody <laughs> wasn't there a wrestler who had like a who had like a story about like some dude almost getting in a fight with Manny Fernandez in a Waffle House or am I misremembering the restaurant? Um, I would say that you could probably pick a restaurant and Manny Fernandez has gotten in a fight. <laughs> in it. 
Yeah. I was just watching right. part of his you shoot because I think that's new. And man, like he is, man, he is something. He, that is true. I, he, he has a bad opinion about some people that I wouldn't expect for him to. But then all of a sudden they drop the question on him. The one I expected Manny Fernandez to push back on, they're like, so is Ming really as, as bad a guy as he says he is? And he's like, you don't mess with Ming. And I was like, Manny Fernandez said that. I have as much validation now as I've ever had. So, anyway, who was it that's been to a Waffle House, Matt? I don't know. Uh, I've been. Could you imagine... Uh, but- no, 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 that we were given the shout-out to. Oh, uh, sorry, Epico. I'm sure Epico has. <laughs> he has to have been. Could, I mean, he's, could you if he, imagine, he's working the like, road, he's, he's been to a Waffle House. Could you imagine yeah. it's like 3 a.m. and you're thinking like, oh, I can I can ride easy and Big E comes through the fucking door and he's like, just give me everything. <laughs> and you're just like, well, it's going to be an hour of cooking. I would laugh my nuts off. Just like, give me, awesome. He's probably like, give me three waffles, like four sides of bacon and like... Oh, he loves them hash browns. Yeah. A rasher. A rasher of bacon. A a rasher of bacon. Okay. And I I also want to, before we we get into the topic, um, I want to apologize to the listeners for the last two episodes being late. Um, There has been some internet provider issues um, at my house the last two weeks, and that's why the episodes are late. There's nothing worse than coming home and the wrong lights are off on the router and checking the internet and then pretty much saying you're fucked for the evening. So yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So that's why they were late. Um, so yeah, hopefully it doesn't happen again, but tomorrow is Wednesday and the last two Wednesdays have not gone well. All right. Well, we'll be, uh, we'll be picking it up and going and, Tonight, um, we are doing a shout-out, or we're doing a a retrospective on a legend. Here recently, the world lost one of the, um, one of of wrestling's true legends. We're talking about the seven-time NWA champion, Harley Race, at age 76. I think it's eight-time. Was it eight-time? Yeah. Okay, my bad, then. The one thing I want to say is I think the word legend is very overused in the current landscape of wrestling. But when you talk, oh, there's about, no question. But when you talk about legends among legends, like guys that I think the mold of being a champion has been cut from, I think Harley Race is like the guy. Harley Race is, I, I would put Harley Race up there with people like Andre for their legendary status. Um, just, and, and we're, and we're going to be digging into why, I mean, there are some people are going to be listening to this going, well, of course he is, but we may have some people listening who are, are only, uh, kind of aware of Harley as uh, Harley race or just know him by reputation. I think so we're going to dig into that. I think he's someone that has benefited. I mean, his, his legend has always lived on, but it's been nice with the, um, Kind of the explosion of film availability of the last decade. I think he's mm-hmm. someone that's benefited greatly from getting more footage out there of him. Yeah, that's true. Because a lot of his his prime was really like probably in the seventies mm-hmm. and the and the early eighties. Uh, we're specifically going to talk about a couple matches and uh, 
his arguably one of his most famous or his most famous match. But uh, I didn't know by at that time of the match he was only like forty, and yeah. he was kind of like wrapping up his career almost. That was kind of like when his career started to go down. But yeah, you're right. Like he has, if you look at the amount of titles he held, it's astounding. Yeah, and we have to bear in mind that when we say the amount of titles that he's held, we're also having to refer to um, the era. Because, you know, I mean, we look around today, <clears throat> and how many titles are, you know, what what's what's a huge mark of, of excellence in, in WWE today is being a Grand Slam champion, right? Um, we're talking about the... You know, we're talking about, and, and we're talking about a guy who predates that in an era when title changes were not like common. He mm-hmm. he he held the PWF World Title in all Japan, and there was only nine different people that held that belt over like a sixteen-year period. That's like wow. That is to the degree of titles that he held. Yeah. Like, let's just so, go through it. I'm just going to read this off without the promotion because it goes absurd. NWA Uh United National Champion, PWF World Heavyweight Champion, NWA World Heavyweight Championship for a New Zealand promotion, AWA World Tag Team Championship three times, Central States... uh, That was with Larry the Axe Henning. Yep. That was like a classic tag team. I, I... Sadly, have not seen a lot, but I've heard um, I've heard amazing things about them. There's not a ton out there. You have to really do yeah. for it. But to go on, Central States Heavyweight Championship nine times, North American Tag Team Championship, Central States version twice, uh, World Heavyweight Champion one time. That's probably the same as the eight. Florida Tag Team Championship three times, Southern Heavyweight Championship, United States Championship. Um, Mid-American Heavyweight Championship twice. IW North American Heavyweight Championship. Georgia Heavyweight Championship. Macon Tag Team Championship. Um, Let's see. Obviously, eight-time NWA World Champion. Missouri Heavyweight Championship, which was like an absolutely... That belt was huge for a long time. Seven times. Stampede North American Heavyweight Championship one time. Tokyo Sports Match of the Year, 1978 versus Jumbo Saruta. IWA World Tag Team Championship once. Um, WWA World Heavyweight Championship. WWC Caribbean Heavyweight Champion. King of the Ring, 1986. Yeah. Um, a, two we can't, we can't forget that. Yeah. Uh, Wrestling Observer Match of the Year, 1983 versus Ric Flair. Um, and he even continued on as a manager for Vader after that and things of that nature. Oh, here we go, too. Uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Match of the Year 1973 versus Dory Funk Jr. Match of the Year 1979, Dusty Rhodes. Match of the Year 1983 versus Ric Flair, not the cage match. Stanley Weston Award, 26, uh, 2006, uh, Wrestler of the Year 1978-1983. Ranked number eight of the 500 best singles wrestlers during the PWI years in 2003. Wow. Like that is, that is like a rap sheet of success. 
and, and like we said, in an era when title movement was not a common thing. It, for those of you out there that are listening, if you don't have a full a full grasp on why holding the NWA title um, prior to what would you say, guys? Prior to about what, 83, 80, 87. 86, 87, somewhere in there. Prior to that, um, to prior to holding it then, and we're going pretty far back too. The, holding the NWA title prior to that was a big deal because we're looking at a title that all of the affiliates in the National Wrestling Alliance, because the NWA was not this monolith that everybody worked for. It was the organization that was the alliance of all of these territories in North America. The board of directors, which drew from all of these territories, all had to unanimously agree if the title was going to change to another person. And the the people they tended to put it on were people who were also, since the NWA champion had to travel to these different territories... This was a big deal, right? The the NWA champions come into town. This is a big deal. And so, you know, uh, ticket sales would go through the roof because, you know, this is the NWA champ. This is a big deal. This is like, you know, this is some real stuff, guys. You know, and he comes in. And you also have to bear in mind that the NWA champion had to be a guy who was tough enough. To, def- that to if, actually not yeah. get shot on, yeah. Right. If someone tries to shoot on him then he's going to tie him in knots. That's part of why that title stayed with Luthez so long is I think there were only a handful of guys that tried it on Thez, and I'm pretty sure he tied him into knots. And there's a story we'll get into later about Harley Race, but he had a left hand that pretty much made it uh, certain that, that no one was going to try that. There- this was a... Big deal. There's um one of my favorite wrestling hobbies, just slightly off topic, is stories about how much of a badass Danny Hodge is. Oh yeah. Yeah. I saw a video of Danny Hodge at Oh that one I posted like age eighty six. Crushing an apple in his hand. Yes. Yeah. He was what, eighty six? Eighty three, I think. Eighty three, and they gave him because the the story <laughs> Jim Ross, okay. I'm gonna reference this now. There was a uh, Another friend of ours, hey Machismo, if you're out there, um, giving us a pity listen. Uh, he sent. He was nice enough before the the network kind of took off for what it was. He sent me a copy of this roundtable that it was Jim Ross and Michael Hayes and Taz and Pat Patterson and somebody else. I, I can't remember who. Foley. Foley, they're all sitting around, and they were talking about guys who were in the business that were legit badasses. And Jim Ross is telling the story about Danny Hodge because when when the show would come to town, they'd go around during the day and promote it, and they trying to sell tickets, right? And Danny Hodge had this story about having this this incredible tendon strength, so they'd go to these stores and a hardware store, and this guy would hand him, you know, they'd hand him apples. They were like, "I hear you can crush an apple in your hand," and he would just crush it, right? And they hand him pliers, and he'd break the pliers just with his grip. And Brad posted this video of Danny Hodge, age 83, with an apple, and he just crushes it. They're holding a trash can for it, for the pieces to drop into. He just takes it in his hand, and he works it around a little bit, and he just crushes this thing with his grip. Well, I think, too, Jim Cornette was talking about this, like the car accident that ended his career. 
Mm-hmm. Pretty much, he realized he broke his neck, and he had he pretty much held his like neck in place while he pulled himself out of this ditch and got himself help. Wow. There are just there are some people out there that are literally just on another level. Yeah, like they're yeah. just a different breed of human being. Yeah, that's yeah. There's no question. And in this roundtable, Harley Race was one of the first guys that comes up, and Mick Foley tells his story. He said, "I knew Harley. I worked with Harley when he was managing Vader. Harley didn't mess around. Harley could scare people. Like there was a match where I, I think the story was they were in Maryland." And Harley was managing, and in Maryland, if you got hurt in the ring, then the commission would cover your medical bills. And Foley got his eyebrow split down to the bone on the railing, and they're in the back, and the doc's like, well, it's a shame it didn't happen in the ring. And Harley goes, it was a headbutt in the ring that split him open. And the guy goes, now, come on, it was on the guardrail, and Harley leaned in real close. He said, I said it was a headbutt in the ring and the guy said well it was a headbutt in the ring so we'll be covering your medical bills uh, and that's all harley said and the other story would mention harley's left hand right harley had a saying he said if i hit him with my left and he does not go down i will walk around him to see what is holding him up and apparently the stories bear out true on that like harley had a left uh, like a, a solid left hand that would lay about anybody out I think um I think Vader when he was alive credited Harley as being like a real calming influence in his life while he was managing him. Yeah. And who are you going to get to to calm Vader down? Harley Race is a good choice, isn't he? When I think Luger was telling some story when Harley was managing, like, oh yeah, like we rode together, and he's like, like, did you drive or Harley drove? He's like, no, Harley drove. Like he had a cigarette in his mouth and a beer in one hand, and he's doing like a hundred <laughs> down the highway. That's that's that old school stuff, man. But that's um, I think something that's really understated about him is like the way he did promos and like he he wasn't like a yeller or anything. He was more of a matter of fact kind of guy. Back in the day, kind of when wrestling promos were a little more low key than they yeah. got in the eighties. But I think my favorite well, Shad has one that's really good too. But the the bounty promo on Ric Flair. Where I, Why don't you give us uh, fill in on this? So, a that's bit. a great. That is an absolutely classic promo. So g- going into one of the matches we're going to talk about, which is a Starcade '83 match, um, Harley Race, and this is a classic wrestling angle. Um, put out a twenty-five thousand dollar bounty, which is funny. Like when Jim Cornette turned heel in Memphis, he didn't call it a bounty; he called it a cash incentive because you know he wasn't fully heel yet. Uh huh. So he puts his bounty out for someone to to um to injure rick flair for him and it what's really nice is the visual like he has this suitcase of money but he's just got the belt in in all of that money and mm-hmm. then and what's brilliant about this is he just starts naming guys he's like hey jack briscoe like you were the world champion like dick like, slater you beat me for this belt like <laughs> he just names off all these guys and then he pulls up some money he's like he's like one of you just take the damn money Take the damn money. Yeah. Got that gravelly voice. Yeah. yeah. It's like Gordon Soley's voice if Gordon Soley smoked about twice as much. A very kind of deep, measured voice. 
Um, and um, the other thing that was funny about his death, just to go slightly off, is D. Snyder actually posted about um, riding on a plane with him to Japan once. Mm-hmm. And said they got there, and there were more people to meet Harley Race than there was to meet Twisted Sister at the airport. Wow, that. On one hand, it's like wow, that's that's really something. And then on the other hand, it doesn't really surprise me. You know. Yeah. Given 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 Japan, that doesn't really surprise me. So what's the um, promo that you really? really dug shad there was a promo i think it was from 1980 is that am, am i remembering the year on that right i know we posted it it was 79 or 80 i think it was 79 or 80 i thought it was 80 but it's it, like you said low-key is a good way of putting it but it's harley race and he doesn't shout he doesn't yell but he's he's just kind of on screen and he has the nwa title belt sitting next to him and he's holding a microphone in his hand. And he's talking about the importance of the NWA championship and what it means to him and what it symbolizes. And he's doing it in that very gravelly voice he does. And he says, this indicates I'm the best in the world and no one's going to, you know. Basically, he's saying, ain't nobody going to step to me. I'm the champ. Let me see. I found the link to it so I can get the year right. But he says, you know, I'm the champ. And he goes through this whole thing. And it is um, just, it is, it is to me riveting because he is not, you know, he's not yelling. He's wearing very 70s clothes, right? But he's telling you very matter of fact about how important that title is, what it means to him, and what you know what it means for him to hold it, and it's it's really engaging and almost a little chilling in how dead serious he is about it. Right? It's not it's it's not like it's not like hard times that draws you in, but it's so it's got this low key intensity to it. That you sit there and you go, okay, I might challenge for the U.S. title instead, right? Yeah, that one was really good. Um, So, I know we came in a little after the Harley race, um, kind of after his career was over. Matt probably was introduced to him as a manager. I actually was introduced, well, yes, technically, because when I started watching in early 90s, um, with WCW, he was the manager for Vader. So I kind of did get that. But when I was, when I became a fan, I started perusing all the Coliseum home videos that I could get at my video store, local mm-hmm. video store. Um, so I did see a lot of him as, uh, well, at least some of him as King Harley Race. Uh, yeah. And funny story, like when I was pretty young, I mean, I was a teenager, so I wasn't like super young. But back then, it's like you, I wasn't smart to the business. So it's like, well, I guess it's real. You know, <laughs> I guess I guess wrestling is real. But then I, I started watching the Coliseum Home Video stuff. And I don't know why the WWF did this. But uh, Harley was kind of the, the reason why I got smartened up to the business. And I'm like, oh, this is actually not real. Because they had a, they had, he had like a brief feud with Hogan in the 80s. 
And I realized that wrestling was fake when they had two different Hogan uh, Harley matches on this one particular Coliseum home video release. Is it the exact same match? It was the exact same match out of at like absent maybe like one slight variation I think of the finish, but it was like the exact match, and I don't mean exact match like they were similar. I mean it was like <laughs> move for move the exact same match. It's like okay, right, like right now that he's going to throw a clothesline. Okay, then it's going to be a body slam. It's like it was the exact same match that happened to me and, at a WCW house show once, where the main event was Goldberg and the Giant. And then, like, mm-hmm. two weeks later on Nitro, they had, like, the exact, like, move for move, same placement, everything match. I was like, oh, well, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. So it was an eye-opener, but um, I liked him as King Harley Race. That was kind of, like, my only experience until much later with him uh, kind of in the ring. Mm-hmm. King Harley Race is not my favorite, but it's it's far and, better than but, it has I, any right to be. And, it's kind of like in the latter half of his career, so and he didn't really do that that much. He seemed to have fun yeah. with it too. It's always nice to see was, some folks. Yeah, get a- I mean, he still had some decent stuff. That Hogan match on where, he, where he went through the was, table was pretty good. Like when he was he was on the table and. If, his in-ring career. So, uh, and then what happened? He got he got injured doing um. What was that? Show? Like trailed off. Well, it, it you're coming through. It a was a pretty good match. I think, I think it was like a hernia or something. Yeah, he got a hernia because he hit the table. Oh, hello. Okay. All right. Oh, can good. you guys hear me? We're good now. We're good now. He got a, we just went through this odd period. Yeah, he got a he got a hernia because he hit like the table weird. I think during a Hogan match. Oh okay. Yeah. I, I was gonna say it's always nice to see people who get into a, a gimmick that they can just kind of relax and have some fun with. Um, looking back, I wish that I would have segued into a gimmick like that, to where I could just kind of relax and, and goof off a little because. People are going to look at, at stuff like that, and they're going to see you having fun. They're going to enjoy it. But I was so dead set on being like both serious and scary, or trying to be. Um, so it, it, it's it's a you know yeah I look that is a regret for me is I wish I could have done some of that stuff a little more relaxed and had a little more fun. So Shad, what was your was your first experience with him? Probably the King, like on some Coliseum tape too. <sighs> Um, oddly enough, uh, as I got more and more into it, cause I, you know, I got started into it, um, later than you guys did. My first experience was probably off of some old WCW stuff. Um, it may have been Harley as the, uh, as the manager for Vader, or it may have been a little earlier than that. I didn't see a whole lot of Harley as the King stuff for a long time. So, oddly enough, my, my timeline was was totally, totally different. See, for me, when summer would hit, like I would just devour like any Coliseum video I could find at any local blockbuster. Oh, okay. Especially, when I, especially because when I was... 
when I got into wrestling, I had a driver's license at that point, which was 97. Yeah. So I could drive to different blockbusters and get the different um, Coliseum tapes because the pay-per-views weren't where the good stuff was. It was the like the rampages and like the world tours and stuff like that. Like those odd little Coliseum only ones. Right. Or, or the other fun thing was going into the, uh, the clash of the champions where the, you know, they would do the clashes a little more often. Um, but it, it wasn't the same as, as a, a full pay-per-view sometimes. Yeah, those are always fun. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think, I think that's really where I probably first encountered Harley. So we, so for tonight we're doing two matches. Do we want to do, so we, we picked from, um, was it July 7th or was it January 7th? Um, I think it was January. January. We did. We picked a match from Houston in 1979. It's Harley Race defending the NWA World Title against uh, Andre the Giant, which I think yep. is January 7th. And then we picked Starcade 1983, which is Harley Race defending the NWA World Title against Ric Flair inside of a steel cage. So, right. do we want to do the Andre match first, or do we want to do the Flair match first? I vote Flair, but okay, I'm good with that for whatever. All right. So this was pretty much what happened is Flair won his first NWA World Title in 1981 against Dusty Rhodes, I believe, who won it from Harley Race, and then Harley Race beat him in June of 1983 to win the belt back. So they built this up, and I believe Starcade 1983 is like the first quote unquote like wrestling pay per view. Which I think, uh, yeah, and that was the first Starcade, so... I think it was just a closed-circuit event, but... I think you're right, because the first pay-per-view stuff, they were trying to do it with closed-circuit TV, like um, Evil evil Knievel jumps or something like yeah. that. So um, so I fired this up, and this, is the, this was my second experience with the network since the update, and I despise the changes to the WWE Network. Oh, my God. Oh my god! It, it's like they intentionally went out of their way to make it as non-user friendly as possible. And it wasn't that user friendly to begin with. No, I mean I could do it. I could navigate it. The biggest thing for me is that I preferred to watch it uh, through my Amazon Fire Stick, and you know, I was going to watch it on my TV and bigger screen, kick back in my recliner, all that good stuff. But the problem is punching anything in with the remote is pretty obnoxious now. Oh my God. I, I, what, what was the thought process behind this? I have no idea. I think it's whoever or ruins every there? other website designed their I, app. The federal government. Uh, this was, yeah, it, I have to use a, a federal database at work and this was, this was about as, as not user friendly as that one is. So, God. So this this obviously had a lot of build. I think we had, it was Gordy Soli and Bob Cottle on commentary. I think, which is a weird combo. <laughs> yeah, was. that was not like Soli's good play by play, but there just wasn't. There was the 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 color commentary was not as. 
They didn't provide a whole lot of color. It was just too similar my, my problem, to Soli's play-by-play. My problem is Soli... I do not... Soli is the wrong sound for Jim Crockett promotions. And while um, I think Bob Cottle is an inferior announcer, he is the voice that I prefer. He is a a more familiar voice for the Jim Crockett promotion surroundings. Okay. That's true, but I was never a Bob Cottle fan. Um, I, I have a soft spot for him. He's not my favorite, but like he's kind of in that Boyd Pierce territory of it's kind of like watching um, wrestling with your like uncle or grandfather or something. Mm. He's kind of in that mold for me, but it, it was a weird announcing thing and they really didn't talk to each other that much. It was just a weird performance. I think they were doing it like, well, no, they would have had to be doing it live if it was closed circuit. Mm hmm. It was just, it, it didn't, it, it, the thing that I, they had flow off of each other, but they did not have, um, they just didn't have any, any color, any zip to their commentary. Yeah. It was just so even keeled the whole time. I mean, it might also depend. We'd probably have to watch the other show to figure out how many drinks and Gordy was at the time. <laughs> Okay. Because he might have been pretty blitzed by by this point. Right. But um, so uh, the first thing that stuck out to me, and I had forgotten how bad it was, but oh my God, Gene Kaniski is a referee. Just oh, terrible. God, terrible. So terrible. Actually took away from the match. Yeah. Very much so. so it, it was as if I'd had a guy refing one of my matches like that, I don't know how if I could have been as patient as these guys were with him. He was just before. Yeah. Okay. You don't as a ref. If you're going to break up a pin, you do the count. You make people respect your authority. You don't grab them by the arms and drag them away. Also, it's a cage match. You don't chastise someone and try and stop them from using the cage in a cage match. I just don't understand how a wrestler, like especially a wrestler that had done it for a long time and was a legend, didn't understand how to referee. I think the problem is, is he was trying to get himself over. Yeah, yeah, there's that. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like the fact that every time he was trying to break stuff up and he would basically be grabbing the wrestler by the arms there was at least like four or five different opportunities where like cheap shots were thrown because he was doing that. He was terrible. He was terrible. Yeah, absolutely. What did he add? Like, what was he supposed to, was he supposed to just add like gravitas to the match because he's a former champion? Was that what th- they were going I think going gravitas for? adding a name to the show and kind of like that, you know, we're putting like an ex wrestler in there so that, you know, to keep them in line, so to speak. I don't know. Someone who can hold it, kind of like um, Sid Justice uh, being the ref for that uh, that WrestleMania match, so that it's not it's like this guy's not going to get wiped out by these guys if they get mad or something like that. Yeah, but um, now I will say I saw this the first time I saw this I was probably in my early twenties and I really didn't like it that much. And seeing it again probably for the first time in a decade, I think the problem the disconnect I had from this match when I was younger as I was in that very like smarky like moves mindset at the time 
And now that I've kind of like, I'm a little more like mature as a fan. Like I really loved just the glacial pace of this match, just how everything they did had such like purpose and like everything was like closely calculated and, you know, for maximum impact and, you know, everything was a calculated risk. Like it really feels like a championship match, like where everything is just heightened to like the nth degree. I probably would have sped it up slightly, (laughs) but um, I did like that. It was kind of very like methodical. It was done. It was done with purpose. Like the, the moves that they were doing to each other made sense. And it was supposed to, you, you, I guess the, the story they're trying to tell is that it was really more like a war of attrition. Yeah, there... over the course of like twenty five, thirty minutes. Yeah, the uh, I'm gonna, Matt. I'm kind of with you here. I'm in this weird position where uh, I came, you know, coming out of doing martial arts and then going into wrestling and then doing. I'm in this position where I like for if if you're gonna have, if you're gonna start with the baby face. Like, you know, doing some shine, getting the crowd up and into it. I like for that to be a little bit faster pace. And then when you slow it down, it's when the heel takes a hold of them and just starts grinding them down, which Harley was very good at. And even he would just grab Flair and chuck him right into the cage. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree that the pace when Harley's in control and what moves they do and that sort of stuff is excellent. That's good, but my, it's, what, what's the analogy I'm looking for here? It's, oh gosh, it's, it's like an old compact car. No matter how far you push the accelerator down, it's only going to be going about the same speed. It never varied from that one speed. And so it's, you know, the, the, one of the old locker room jokes I was aware of is, hey, we'll start off slow and taper off from there. And to me, like they're doing, it's very good. The psychology is very solid. Everything builds on each other. God, it never even picks up a little bit is the frustrating part for me. I wanted to see on the comeback. I wanted to see like flares firing up and coming back, but it's still moving at the same pace. Yeah, I would have actually had it be a little bit faster. Um, I did like, I did like it was deliberate. I did like that it meant something. Um, but yeah, I would have, I would have like, I would have cranked up the speed a little bit. Yeah, just for the match, because you're right. Like the comebacks, I felt they were kind of at the same pace, and it's like, well, at least the comeback should be like kind of high energy. Yeah. So I mean, I liked it, but you excite the crowd up, right? Yeah, Flair was super over as a babyface in this, which is kind of weird to see Flair as a babyface. But <laughs> um, I, I like the match. I've also seen like a ton of wrestling so I can kind of appreciate the match. Mm. But if someone was kind of like just getting into wrestling, uh, this is I, not the one I, I'd show that person. Yeah. I don't feel like, they, I feel like they would walk away and being like, Oh, it's boring. It's a boring yeah. match. Yeah. Well, it, it's okay. My wife, she likes seeing people do impressive stuff. So she likes seeing, you know, the flippy stuff or she likes seeing the, the, the gritty brawl kind of thing, this would not work for her. Because, like you said, it's just, it keeps the same pace the whole time, and everything is very psychologically solid, but we don't, we don't get any variation. We don't, and, and maybe this is just a product of the times. 
I could see that because there's the 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 70s and 80s. You're having this transition from an era where I'm not saying they couldn't work, but everyone worked a slower, more deliberate style. And then as you get older, people are starting to move a little faster, and they're starting to do a little. You're get you're seeing more impressive stuff done more regularly. Because they did impressive stuff in the old days, too, just not as much. They saved it for the big shows, right? And so I'm in this place where I like seeing a faster pace for the baby face because it's exciting. And it's exciting, so it draws me in and it gets me cheering for him, right? Flair fires up, comes back to his feet, and he goes, punch, punch, chop, chop, woo! You know, hits the rope, shoulder block, something like that. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm firing up, I'm getting into it. But here, Flair's coming up, punch, chop, you know, and then he goes into, he grabs that headlock because he's he's on the offensive now, so he's going to, and maybe that's just, maybe that's just kind of a hallmark of the times, but I'm in this place where I'm like, I just, I want to... I want I want a little more on the gas. Championship matches in the seventies and eighties are typically slower for the NWA title. So yeah, that's this is this, this okay. Um, that there's kind of my point is is that it's product of the time. Not that it's bad. It's just different. It's supposed to be that like. It's supposed to be a more deliberate pace to put over, like, the importance of, like, the title and challenging for the title and that sort of thing. Yeah. I will say one I, thing that did shock me is how good this footage looked. Yeah, that's a really good point. This was really crisp. Actually, both matches looked... Well, actually, I think the Andre match... The Andre match shocked me for 90, 1979. I know they restored it for that NWA On Demand a couple years ago, but that the Andre match was immaculate and this was like really yeah. good too. This was like shockingly good for the time. This was like on par with that, um, Andre Stan Hansen match we watched a while back. Yeah, it was in terms of quality. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the blood in this. Oh, I yeah. actually, I actually felt that really added a lot to the, the drop, the overall drama of the match. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely agree with you. That it's one of those things. It's Ric Flair in the '80s in a title match. He's probably going to bleed, mm-hmm. um, but they didn't go for it early. It was, if I remember right, it didn't even happen on the first cage spot. I think it happened on the second. I think so. in order to in order to really sell. I'm not sure if that's when Harley winged him into the cage or if he winged him into the post that was holding the cage up. But, you know, that's when Flair comes back and it's flowing. And you're like, oh, man, he really got him in there. And then I'm like, okay, wait. I know how that, but even for that moment, to get me to set that aside, um, it, it really did add to it. And I really liked, the blood really worked, too, when they were doing those, like, overhead shots of, like, the figure four spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really, they need to bring back that overhead shot. I really like that for some reason. Oh, wasn't that like Lucha Underground's signature thing or something? Maybe. Is they always they always had that shot set up? Well, if Lucha Underground was really like shot like a TV show. That was part of its like appeal too. Yeah, but I, and, until you found out about how they treated the oh, people yeah. they had on the roster, but 
This also had um, that nice bit, like we've talked about in some of these older matches, that um, it had that little bit of grit and grime to it where you weren't quite sure. Like, you know they're cooperating, but there's that tiny little bit of doubt in your mind because everything's not crisp. And, you know, like that, like when he puts the figure four on at the end, like it's a little like sloppy by design. Yeah. Because, you know, Harley doesn't go into it quite like he should because he's kind of fighting it. And it gives you that, you know, it gives you that tiny little bit of doubt. Like, oh, you know, they're kind of not like, you know, he's kind of not getting that in quite right. Right, right. Well, the the finish on this with, um, <laughs> spoilers, but it's it's like one of two times I've ever seen Flair come off the top and not crash and burn, you know? Um you know, that didn't look super crisp or anything, but it was still good. Yeah. But this was this was great. Like, I really liked how they came out and, like, Flair has, the, like, the pomp and circumstance and, you know, Harley just comes out, no music, no glamour. It's just Harley and his belt. Yeah, that was, that was a big... Because I'm sitting there and they're doing the whole thing for Flair, and I'm like, okay, yeah, this is Flair. This is what Flair does. And then Harley just walks out and like, I'm here. Yeah. I'm like, and I'm like, ah, oh, well, that that fits. And this this title change is also kind of significant because this reign kind of leads into Flair, you know, into '85 and '86, like where like Jim Crockett promotions just absolutely explodes. Kind of springboard for that era, yeah. right? But I, I like this. I think I think my biggest complaint is if Tommy Young had been the referee instead of Gene Kanitsky, I think it would have been a far better match. Oh my God! Yes, yeah, I would agree. There's no question. There's there's absolutely no question. I I sat here watching this, and and we mentioned earlier. I mentioned earlier. It's like why why is the ref for a cage match chastising? the guys for using the cage because I'm watching this and Harley pitches flair into the cage and he goes to do it again. And Kaniski gets in the way and stops him. I said, and I'm sitting there and I said out loud, dumbass, it's a cage match. They're going to use the cage. And my wife's like, don't talk so loud. You wake up the baby. And I'm like, sorry, dumbass. It's a cage match. It really was (laughs) awful. That was just horrendous, horrendous officiating that that really put a, a blight on it. Like it didn't destroy the match, but it did. Sure. When he interjected himself, it brought it this down. Was, this was Gene Kanitsky in the match. That's what I felt like that match was. <laughs> I appreciate that meme. I, I'm going to put the disclaimer on this match if you want to check it out. It's on the network, and this disclaimer goes for the Andre and Harley match, which is on YouTube. These are very old school matches. Like, they are not... The, the Flair race match has some touches of modernism to them, but Harley... And Andre has no like modern 
like contrivances to it whatsoever. These are very old school matches, so they're good matches, but you might be bored by them if you're not used to like it's... old school wrestling. Yeah. I might I was I've been looking for the right phrase on how to use them and I don't want to say that it's an old school fan kind of match but I can't figure out what the right phrase is it's, it's this is like this is like if you're if you're idea of video games is completely the modern era and going back and trying to play like a really well regarded like NES game or like an Atari 2600 game like I think some of the what made them good to people of that time might be lost on you because you just don't have like a good frame of reference to what that era is like. I think the phrase I was looking for is if you're a seasoned fan, this would be a good match for you. It, you know, if if you're if your experience with uh, with wrestling spans lots of different eras. Oh yeah, you'll be fine. You'll you'll be fine. But if you're if you're like an attitude era forward kind of person, this is not something that's going to trip your trigger. Yeah, because it's if if you want to get into older stuff, I'd say go for some shorter matches and build your way up because these matches are fairly long. Yeah, you you've you've got to know what you're going into so you know what to yeah. expect. That's that's very true. So let's hit on um, what I would call quite the novelty match. So from Houston in 1979, we have Harley Race defending against Andre the Giant, the NWA world title, and which was a common occurrence for title matches. This is two out of three falls. I was actually surprised by that. I wasn't expecting a two out of three falls match. A lot of a lot of those title matches in the 70s were two out of three falls. Hmm. Okay, I, I didn't expect it either. Like it pops up, and I'm like, "Oh, this is too." Like it didn't, it didn't shock me. I just didn't expect it. So it pops up, and I'm like, "Oh, we're doing two out of three. Okay, uh, all right, not a problem." So this is and then, this is like another instance that we kind of talked about previously with Andre the Giant. But wow, Andre is a really good worker when he can still move. This match was shocking. Um. Because just like how good young Andre was. His selling after in the second fall, like the way he's selling that body slam on the floor. Oh, yeah. He's selling it like he is fucked. Like just he's just selling it like I am screwed up and I have to just hold on. Yeah. That's something that I, I think a lot of people might miss out or sleep on is Andre knew and was capable he could sell and that's that was so important for him too because if you if you're going to have a match with Andre I mean if he was a baby face then you were just going to bounce off of him but, right you'd go at him and bounce off but if he was a heel then he had to put you over in some way and he knew how to do it but what was what was brilliant about the first fall is it's pretty much Andre owns Harley. Like Harley gets a couple of shots in, but like he goes for his diving headbutt and pretty much gets the worst of it. Like he's like, Oh, I made a horrible mistake after doing that. <laughs> he, he does that and then rolls over holding his head and the crowd laughs at him. Yeah. But then pretty much Andre just works the arm and like works him over the whole time. And I mean, he, he's owning Harley for this and Harley dives to the outside and Andre comes after him and Harley being like the savvy champion he is 
nails him with a chair and body slams him on the floor and scurries back in and mm-hmm. gets the count out to win the first fall. So they start the second fall and Harley's just all over him like because he just senses the blood in the water. It was I got to throw this in there in watching this match, especially when Andre's working on Harley. Mm-hmm. I thought there was something wrong with my speakers for a minute until I realized that that's that that's Harley's ring banter. But it sounded to me like there was there was a sound caught on loop because he would do the same thing so often, repeated. And man, like when and I couldn't figure it out. When um, when Andre did that double underhook suplex, he got some serious air on Harley. That's true. Yeah. I I love the fact that in the first fall before it spills to the outside, like Andre was doing submission wrestling. Yeah, and like doing it really well like like working the I whole not like not like yeah a lot of guys do now where they just put the arm bar on and just lay there for five minutes like andre was like yeah torquing wrenching like sometimes he'd get up a little bit to um to really like reapply the pressure get things just the way he wanted it no he was working it he was submission wrestling and he was andre's andre's fujiwara arm bar was excellent and, yeah and the, the brilliant thing he was doing is like he was making harley like fight through his weight to have to get up from those holds mm-hmm. yeah it, it's in watching this um it was interesting because i'm i'm watching this and the thought occurs to me this is what made andre seem so it you know if if, if you only saw him in in the wwf and it's Andre, and he does big headbutts, and he hits people, and he doesn't go down. It's like okay, doing big man, doing what we would you might call classic big man stuff. But in this era, what you have is a guy who's a very capable wrestler who just happens to be so big that you can't. You, what do you do to overcome him? Right. Well, I mean, if he it, lays down on you and he's cranking an armbar, what do you do? Right. The sheet gave him the fireball. That's the only way the sheet got away from him. <laughs> But that's that it gave me some context of just how um, just how, uh, you know, how much of a force that he would be viewed in that time period. But he really like his psychology is like really like spot on too. like you can see like those like how like he had that good match with Duggan when he couldn't move or like that good match with Savage. Like because you can see like it's you can really see like how well he understands wrestling when his body can do what his head wants. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Makes sense. So Andre gets Andre that a lot of now. <laughs> so Andre gets the um, Andre gets the wins the second pinfall. Pretty much fights back. You know, babyface comeback. So we go to the third pinfall where Andre kind of takes over again. So they kind of spill to the outside and get into it a little bit. And then what I thought was an absolutely brilliant finish that pissed the crowd off. Andre's trying to get back in the ring and Harley literally grabs onto his legs to prevent him from getting back into the ring to get them both counted out for the final fall. Yeah. I I, I wasn't sure how they were going to end this, but and it's like, okay, now I get and it. And the Harley was literally dangling off of him like a small child. 
to keep him out of the <laughs> ring. May it sound like you wanted to say something. This overall was way more competitive than I was expecting it to be. Like there are times when race was really just giving it to him. Uh, like the whole segment in the second fall where he is the one who has Andre in like a bear hug. It's like, wow. Yeah. But I like that that was predicated that Harley's like really huge segment of control was after body slamming him on the floor. Yeah. Right. Which was actually a really impressive body slam too. Oh, it was super impressive. I like messaged you guys when I was watching the match and it didn't even look like Andre like helped him much. I'm sure he did, but it didn't look like it. And he like, he really inverted him. It was like a super impressive body. Slam. It was like Harley was body slamming like a hundred and 80 pound guy he just, like, versus a dude who was like 400 pounds. You don't even see it coming because he just goes for it. Yeah. But then I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and pull it up because I want to I want to look at it and see if if it's if it's all Harley or if Andre's doing some stuff. But, but Andre so, sold that so well because he gets back in the ring and you can just like the way he signed it is just like you're like, oh, he is he is like messed up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think this is—I think this match is actually a really good showcase of both men because you really get to see Harley work, kind of as the underdog against like the unstoppable monster. But you get to see like, like this match is really about Harley Race um, thinking his way out of losing the title as much as it is wrestling his way out of the title. Yeah, it's it's very much about Harley being uh, cagey. Yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Golly, and and you you want and it's just this idea of just doing this stuff. Okay, hang on, I've got this. Oh yeah, Andre totally posted for it. Okay, it it's covered up very very well, but but Andre did. Okay. All right. Okay. Sorry. That's that I I had to solve that mystery for myself. Now I would say Andre's performance in the Stan Hansen match is more um, impressive, but I think this is a better display of Andre's like psychology abilities. Uh, I'd have to think on that for a while. I'll be honest with you. I just really prefer. I I, I really preferred the Andre Hansen to this. They're they're very different. It, like it, um. Andre and Hansen is like two wild animals going at it, and this match yeah. is more like a very tactical, like cerebral um, approach to like a match. Sure, I, I agree with you. I'm just it, for my personal tastes. That's yeah. I, I prefer that one. Like this, but. this match is a lot of this. This match feels like a chess match almost. Like they're they're carefully deploying like their moves against each other, like their positioning. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of like thought put into them thinking as they go. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of thought into that, making you think they're like trying to outsmart each other. Whereas the Hanson and Andre match is just like two guys just duking it out until the refs had enough of their nonsense. Yeah, that that duking it out till the ref has enough of their nonsense. Um, that 
<laughs> that just appeals. That that warms my cold black heart. So, <laughs> and I think I think like for for being what I what I picked it out because it was a novelty match, but it it was I thought it was a really good match. It, that's because it was. It was a really good. It, yeah, for a novelty match, it's absolutely not what you would expect. No. I'm waiting. I'm waiting, Matt. Do you have anything? Anything else you want to? No, it's just this was a this was kind of like again like a one of those matches of early Andre that I've I had never seen before or even mm-hmm. heard about, and it kind of blew me away. Like the the Andre Hansen match is still like I love that match. That match is like tremendous, but uh-huh. this was like in its own right really really good. Uh, and again, like I wasn't expecting it to be as competitive as it was, but it was it was like a it was a slog between the two of them and it was like toe to toe. And I, I loved it. It was like really compelling. Cause I'm, I was used to seeing like eighties Andre where he was obviously more broken down. So he didn't have to do as much, but it was mostly just him, you know, just doing the minimum, but because of his size, it was believable. But here it was like, he had to go toe to toe and he struggled. Um, so it was pretty fantastic. Oh, one, one last thing I want to actually mention about this match is that, Andre's working punches were really good. Yes, they were. Compared to like, I mean, he's a big dude. So he wasn't he wasn't like throwing punches around just like willy nilly. Mm-hmm. He had to make them like a certain style because that's what would make sense. But they were good. Right. There was one point I think where he slaps race on the chest and it was just like a thunderclap or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. He was using a lot of the. Um... I, I use them. I refer to them as the. Um, I guess they're clubbing blows, uh, the the clubbing blow effect, where he he you take the forearm across the back or across the chest, and so it's a. He he used some of those, but then again, on someone like Andre or Mark Henry, it makes perfect sense. You know, it, he's just using the sheer weight of his arm to punish you, so. That's that's a uh, you know it, it fits it makes sense. I'm trying to agree with you, and I might be working too hard at doing no, it. No, it makes sense. <laughs> so I I would say like I said like we said earlier like I, I think Harley Race is a true legend like um someone I think like the the mold of a champion is cut from still to this day to a degree. And um, I think if you if you haven't seen a lot of Harley Race matches, I think um, I think the I think these are good matches to check out. They showcase him well. Um, you can you can look on YouTube. Unfortunately, like with Harley, you're gonna kind of he's gonna be a little past his prime when you get to see him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, cause there's just not the, the footage for a lot yeah, of it. And, and sadly, like a lot of this stuff isn't, you have to dig for like, I don't, are the dusty title changes and like the Tommy rich title change out there in their entirety. I don't know. I, I know they finally did the backland race match in its entirety. Okay. Um, I haven't seen that all the way through though. 
If there's anybody I believe could ground Bob Backlund, it would totally be Harley the, Grace. <laughs> the match that he wins the title from Terry Funk is out there, and that one is really good. I would recommend that one if you have the time mm-hmm. to watch it. Um, Terry Funk's a little subdued, though, because it is NWA Aww. champion. Um, Terry <laughs> Funk. That's that's fair. I do like I like Terry Funk when he's not quite so subdued. That's to me. That's more fun. But I've been watching uh, some Georgia TV, and I saw a promo with him calling Dusty Rhodes an egg sucking dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I want to. I want to take an opportunity to also, and I'm going to throw this out there. This is only kind of ancillary related, but when we were originally kind of messaging back and forth about this, the um. The thing that struck me about this Andre match is I can I can I feel very definitively say Andre is a better worker. Well, Andre was a very good worker. I feel like Big Show is a better big man, but that's because he was building on the big man stuff Andre did. But Andre didn't start doing the big man stuff until later on because he didn't need to. Big Show started doing that from the beginning. Basically, because that's what everybody around him told him he had to do. But as he progressed in his career, I feel like that he was he's the best big man, quote unquote, style worker that I have seen. You guys think I am crazy? Um, I think Andre at his peak was better than Big Show, but Big Show obviously had a longer, like, productive period because Andre physical limitations really kicked in pretty quick well remember remember what i'm saying i'm not saying that that big show is better than andre i'm saying big show was a better big man style worker than andre yeah but what i'm saying is do you think do you think big show could have been as good in like if you replaced him with andre in the stan hansen match do you think he had the aura and like the ability just to go like just to duke it out with a guy like that and be as believable potentially but we it's kind of hard to do that with the aura that goes around andre would would show have had that kind of aura in that in that era just off of the the virtue of sheer size i don't know um but if a yeah i'm not sure i think and i think we're i think we're big show we're big show struggles a little bit versus Andre, in my opinion, is I feel like Andre was a little more creative um, with what he did than Big Show did. Like, and and some of that though is Big Show being in a very restrictive environment. Right. I wonder what we would see out of Show if he was in a place where he could, you know, kind of cut loose a little bit more. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't dislike Big Show. Actually, I think Mark Henry's a bigger big man worker than either of them. Honestly, see, that's tough because Mark Henry didn't really like get it as a big man until like later. But when he got it, like, when, oh yeah, when he was doing like the the world's strongest champion at ECW. Like that's that's one thing I would like. I would love to talk about at one point. I think one of the most underrated acts of all time is Mark Henry with Tony Atlas as his manager. He was really underrated. Um, when once he finally like got it, 
he got really good as a like a monster big man heel. And it, they, I don't want to go back and look because the WWE ECW turned me off pretty hard pretty early. It came back. Yeah. It came back pretty well in like 2008 when they were putting like a lot of new guys on there when like Evan Bourne was on there. And it was like yeah. mid Carters figuring their act out and getting all this TV time. It actually got pretty good, but it should be noted that Mark Henry actually salvaged um, SmackDown's ratings when he was champion. Did he really? Yeah, wow. Went up. But that's one of my favorite moments is the injured Orton going for like the RKO and like Henry just shrugging him off, shaking his head. No. And then giving him the world's strongest slam and winning the belt. Uh, there was a really, really good, one of my favorite, like, I guess, Mark Henry moments when he was kind of in that mode was from, I think it was like 2011. It was a raw and it was, um, it big show versus, I think he was, I don't think it was even Mark Henry was in the match. I'm not sure, but it's a cage match. Do you remember this one where he basically like charges a big show through the cage oh yeah yeah i remember that to the outside and then he goes up to big show who's just like lying crushed on the on like (laughs) the outside and mark henry is standing over him and he's like if i charge for air you better keep your bill paid (laughs) (laughs) it is hilarious because it's such an absurd comment and it's terrifying (laughs) because it's like yes i would keep my bill paid if you were charging for air and he's such a badass in that one moment. You know what? You know what I? Or even like the moment. Oh, I'm sorry to cut oh. you off, but even the moment where, remember, he was like he fake retired, and then uh, yeah. Cena came out, and then he proceeded to give the world's uh, greatest slam to Cena. He's like, I got a lot left in the tank. I remember hearing. Um, I remember uh, when Mark Henry went back on talk as Jericho. Whenever Jericho would use a cowbell and try and do people's entrance music. I think he's quit doing that. That sounds but, really douchey. Uh, well, it, it was meant to be funny. It was it was supposed to be a joke, but the he he said to Mark Henry, he's like, "What what was that that you that was said in your song?" And he's like, "I I, I think I understand it, but I don't hear it." And Henry's like, "Oh, someone's gonna get his wig split. That's just some ignorant stuff we used to say in Texas." And I said it at one point, and Vince wanted to put it in my music, and there it is. <laughs> And I'm like, you know what? A pissed off Mark Henry, I'm not gonna nitpick his 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 threats. You know, it's gonna be like, ah, yeah, I, I believe you would do that. You know what? You know what I really respect about him, and this is gonna sound like a backhanded compliment, but it's really not. I love the fact that they signed him to that ridiculous contract before he'd ever wrestled a match, and they yeah. instantly regretted it. So they were trying to like humiliate him and like send him to OVW and to get him to quit. And he was just like, nope, I'm getting paid. I'm going to show up to work with a good attitude every day because I'm getting my motherfucking money. Yeah, he had a yeah, I I remember all the stories about that. And he he still came to work like he he worked hard to get better. And, And Cornette said when he was in OVW, like he was great. Like, good attitude, like, did everything they wanted him to, like, I just, I I respect a guy that, you know, has his eye on the prize. Yeah. And that's... 
And hey, he lost the weight they told him to, too, so. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, absolutely I think did. he was probably, I would say he was an active wrestler for almost 10 years before he actually got it. Yeah. Yeah. That's he had a long, he had a long growing curve. But like, it was just weird. Yeah. He like, I thought he sucked. And then one day, like, it took me a while to get over it. But then I was like, wait a minute. Like, he's actually really good. And like, it just kind of happened. It kind of seemed like all the pieces fell into place very, very quickly, right? I think once he had, like, when he got that, like, kind of started getting that main eventer slot, it's just like it all fell into mm-hmm. place for him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'd have to go back and listen, but I think that there was some more conversations he had with Ron Simmons that probably helped. Um, my favorite Ron Simmons stories are, are the ones that D'Lo told him about how to be better and that sort of stuff. And like, don't you let no one get up over on you, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, about how to deal with, with Vader and that sort of stuff. Maybe, maybe we'll need to go back and dig on that sort of stuff. You know, people have been really good influences to up and comers. Ron, Ron at some point. is an interesting, um, interesting, <laughs> um, guy as far as wrestling goes to me. Yeah. It's, uh, he, There's a lot to unpack there. He seems he's weird to me because he just, you know, when someone seems like they're too nice of a person to be in the wrestling industry, mm-hmm. that seems to be Ron Simmons to me. Maybe I need to think about that. Like him, um, I get why Foley is because he was just like an Uber fan. Like um, yeah, oh, there was Bobby Eaton. Seems like yeah. he was too nice to be in well, the wrestling business. Bobby Eaton was was another Uber fan. Like you know, at the time when Cornette started taking pictures, Bobby Eaton was setting up the ring. Uh, so he he's kind of in the same vein as Foley, just a very very different worker. Like even even Jerry Lawler is weird. Like how he got in because he's like that's part of the reason like people don't like him is because he's not he wasn't one of the boys. Yeah, wasn't he a radio host or something? I think so, yeah. But, you know, God, he had his, um, you know, the, the he, he had his psychology. Yeah. He made so much money. <laughs> well, anyway, I guess, to, I guess to cap it off, like, um, I think Harley Race is probably one of my favorite guys, and I was really bummed when the news came out and, you know, we, we do these for some guys, but I felt like Harley deserved probably more than two matches, but we did what we had time for on short. Yeah. Notice. But Harley, absolutely. Um, he absolutely deserved it. You know, a legend in a time before that term was used for everybody. Yeah. I agree with that, Matt. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, it's fortunate as we said before earlier in the podcast that we now have like a greater amount of footage from kind of the earlier years, like seventies, eighties, like early eighties mm-hmm. when it was kind of like his heyday. So mm-hmm. we can kind of get a better grasp of his career. Cause other than that, it would just be like the, the King Harley race stuff and some of his manager. Yeah. I don't think stuff with WCW. I don't think just before we leave, like I, I think it's something I think a lot of people don't realize is there's been kind of this quiet, like just 
revolution of people finding footage the last decade or so. Like, the stuff that's out there now versus, like, when I was really starting to venture into more obscure stuff in, like, 2006 and 2007, it's amazing how much stuff has, like, been found. Yeah. And and put out there for consumption. There's a big, it's a big change from the, uh, the tape trading era, isn't it? Yes, it's huge. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, guys, I think I think we've about hit the about hit the end on this one. So we want to say out there to everybody. Uh, first of all, what do you think about? Uh, you know, what do you, do you agree with us? Do you disagree with us? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Um, you know, Harley Race, one of the one of the all time legends. Um, this is Shad here with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth. Please hit us up on social media and let us know what you think. And with that, we'll see you next time. Let me see if I can hit stop this time.